only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding It's good to be here this morning. As always, it's good to be able to give thanks and to fellowship with God's people. I'd like to read... <clears throat> passage, if I might, from the fifth chapter of the book of St. Mark, that will begin reading with verse number one through verse 20, St. Mark chapter number five, beginning with verse one through verse 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him one of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And now a great herd of swines was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you 
and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Thus the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me, please? Father, sanctify this hour, we pray. For your glory's sake and yours alone. We are weak and unworthy and in need of the filling of your spirit. We pray that you would correlate what's in our hearts with what's in our minds and eventually comes from our mouths. That the gospel may go forth with, forth with clarity and your power. For this we do ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Gerizim demoniac. The four Gospels, Mark being one of them, and the life of, as they depict the life of Christ particularly, is the joyous picture of divinity wrapped up in Humanity. Remember, the Gospels are not the story of people coming to God, but rather the story of God coming to us in Christ. The location of this particular passage, this encounter, was in the Decapolis or the Ten Cities or the Free Cities of ancient Judea and Samaria which is now, by the way, a part of modern, modern Jordan. And one of those ten free cities was the city of Gaza. These cities were centers of uh, Greek and Roman culture, meaning that Jesus is in primarily Gentile territory. And they were specifically the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire. Garaza is surrounded by a hilly, wooded area. Actually, it's among the mountains of Gilead, and it's nestled down into a valley. It's somewhat of a quaint, beautiful place with a stream running through the midst of it. Garaza was indeed geographically a charming place, but there was a problem in Gerasa. St. Mark leads us to a man of Gerasa who had what is called an unclean spirit. Our text takes us right into the story, this encounter, when it says, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, referring to Jesus. It seems like there's no rest for the Savior. Immediately after deboarding the boat, he's met with a man who has a immediate problem. He's coming into a community that has an immediate problem. 
Under the influence and direction of this unclean spirit, the man roams in what we would call a graveyard. Both night and day, it appears as if he sleeps there. It's his home. He roams the hills and the graveyards, and the demoniac would cut himself with stones, as, a, as the New American Standard Bible says. And he would scream uncontrollably. He was unclothed and he was uncouth and he was unclean. Scripture paints a very clear picture of one who is completely out of control and under the influence of and even possessed by Satan. This man's behavior is indicative of Satan's intentions for this person, and that is to drive this man to the very depths of degradation. And while doing so, deprive this one of any normal human relationships or even human interaction. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, we know that the Lord has already said that it's not good for man to be alone. But here we are confronted in the scriptures with a man who is alone, seemingly has no one, no family or friends to speak of, to care for him or provide him comfort. Indeed, he's a man out of control and a man who is alone. It's very interesting because St. Mark dwells on this man's condition uh, rather prolifically. He lingers a little bit on the desperate condition of this man. Again, I say that Satan's intent for this person or any person whom the devil may control is quickly and clearly seen in our passage because this person is not only inflicted with a demon, but he is inflicted with a horde of demons. The intent is the destruction of this man before his contemporaries. We're reminded in St. John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief, that is Satan, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. It's interesting to take note that, take note of the complete and utter control that Satan has over this person who at one time perhaps had a job, a home, clothing, maybe even a family. A person who is reduced to nothing, having been stripped of everything and everyone, including possession of his mind and his personality. None of the things that are necessary to live a decent life as a human being. It surely makes one wonder how involved Satan must be in the lives of many people who even live in our modern society. Who are being led down the road to sorrow, sadness, and even self-destruction. Some are people you and I may know who have been stripped of virtually everything. Their personality is changed. They lack sound judgment. They're stripped of their honor and their integrity, their family and friends. 
And it leads us to wonder as we ponder over this text, who else could do this to another human being? It must be the work of Satan. Despite humanity's greed and lofty pride and our often miscalculated self-worth, it seems that the road that many people travel often leads to sorrow, sadness, and self-destruction. It's not coincidental that in the fourth chapter of St. Mark, the chapter preceding our text, we see where nature is out of control. And in the chapter that would follow, chapter number six, we see that death itself is seemingly out of control. And chapter five, in the middle of them, we have a man who is out of control. This demoniac is surely out of self-control, and he's also out of control of society as well. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart. The shackles broken into pieces, and no one was able to subdue him. It appears as if the demonic powers that indwelt this man gave him supernatural, superhuman strength, I should say. From time to time, they could corral him and they could catch him. They could catch him, but they couldn't hold him. He could be caught, but he couldn't be kept. This is no self-driven person, but one who is demonically possessed and satanically empowered. And in the eyes of the community, The community where this man dwelt, this person is not only out of control, but potentially dangerous and generally useless to the rest of society in his present condition. As I read through this text a few times, I wish I had a little bit more information about this man. Was there really any family around? Were there any former friends who knew him before this infestation? Did he ever have a job or pursue a career? Did he ever marry or have children? How did this person get this way? Where did things go wrong? And prior to this possession, did he ever dream of traveling or visiting beautiful places? Did the demoniac ever envision grandchildren or nieces and nephews as a part of his life? How did this person get this way? Why is it that some of our finest young people, our best citizens, seemingly self-destruct before our eyes? Can't we point to substance abuse, whether drugs or alcohol, sexual misconduct, dishonesty, or general lack of ambition, And say these vices have laid claim on many in our society today. Isn't it possible that there are more demoniacs that we care to know about? But I should caution not as many as some religious groups believe us or make us believe. Having said that, isn't it fair to say that we live in a world where there are a lot of people who fit the description of being out of control? Again, I ask, why is it that both young men and women, older and 
the oldest of our society, is so full of promise and self-confidence, often seemingly self-destruct before our very eyes. Have you ever met someone with a beautiful face but a bad attitude? Have you met someone with a youthful frame but a distorted heart? What about a person with a firm handshake but has sticky fingers? Or someone who's obviously athletic but weak-spirited. As I think about it, we all at one time or another, in one way or another, were out of control. Just as so much of society is today. Note something else that St. Mark had to say about this demoniac. No one could bind him, not even with a chain. Certainly after reading this editorial about the demoniac, further evidence proves that no one could control this person. The demoniac circle of acquaintances, the village legal authorities and townspeople in general were rendered helpless to do anything with this man. It's true that legal restraints, moral restraints, and even religious restraints are not enough in and of themselves to bring about a change of heart or one's disposition, much less the conversion of a soul. Society and government is not the answer to a changed life. It was not only true of the demoniac, but it's true of you and me. That none of these things that society has in place can regulate a mind, can control one's will or bring one to repentance and never will. We as the demoniac needed a Christ intervention. Educational reforms, tax reforms, welfare reforms, the historic great society legislation, the New Deal and even The Reagan revolution could not and cannot in and of themselves restrain a person who is controlled by our Lord's adversary, the devil. Because, or even though societal reforms has its place, it does not take the place of regeneration. This man, as well as all of unregenerate society, needs an encounter with Christ. There are some things that God allows humans to do, but some things God reserves for himself to do. It's apparent that even from our contemporary society, there are many people who are out of control. Just as the person described in this text. I wonder how many of your friends and my friends really, really, really know us. Don't we all put on a mask of some sort? Aren't we all masking at least some of the pain and suffering that we go through in our daily lives? We make it seem as if everything is okay, but often many of us live with a painful past. Some live with troubled marriages or a career that's gotten off track. How many parents are having difficult conversations with their children because they have abandoned the faith of their fathers? Or they've abandoned their families. They've abandoned their principles and their morals. How many young people are affected by dysfunctional homes? That have been torn apart by infidelity or power struggles or battles over money. Although we don't wish to ignore the real story in the text. 
for the sake of application, I must say here that the demoniac certainly isn't the only person we know who is out of control. Text says in verse number six, and seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. Here is someone that has been running away from everyone else, avoiding all human contact, but he runs to Christ. The same person who was under no one's control before is now submitting to the authority of Christ. Authority that allowed Jesus to lay down his humanity as if it were a coat on a warm day and pick it up again three days later. Authority to tell waves to be still and somehow waves understood Aramaic. That's authority. Authority to speak fish language at tax time when Jesus tells the fish which bait to take and the disciples could pay their taxes. The depth of this man's degradation, the profoundness of his problem is not beyond the reach of the Savior. He comes to Jesus. And now the one who no one could help is now asking for help. The text, text makes it clear that there are some things we as humans cannot do, yet there is nothing that God cannot do. This man couldn't free himself of the legion of demons. His friends, his neighbors, his family, if there were any, none of them could free him from his condition. But there is nothing that God cannot do. Even before a hand is raised, before prayer is prayed, before a word is spoken, before his name is called. This man, this demoniac previously uncontrolled is under the authority and the control of the Savior. We should never, we should be able, I should say, to recognize the superiority of Christ over flesh and blood as well as evil spirits. Undoubtedly, the text is reminding us that Jesus is God and even the demon world recognizes that authority. Some distance caused the possessed one to run to him, inquiring of Christ and ask him, what are you going to do with me? The possessed man suspected Jesus was there to see him. The text says the man ran to Jesus, but Jesus clearly saw him first. The NIV says the man asked this question, what do you want with me, Jesus? The man saw Jesus, but Jesus saw him first. This story is not the celebration of a, poss of a possessed man's initiative. The text is the celebration of the initiative of God through Christ. To intervene in a man's life that desperately needed an encounter with the Savior. If the Lord saw Cain slay his brother Abel, he saw legion. If he witnessed Sarah laughing in her tent at the promise of God, the Lord indeed saw legion. If the Lord saw Achan attempt to steal the war bounty, he saw legion. 
If he knew he would be betrayed by Judas before Judas was even born, he saw legion. If Jesus could tell the Pharisees in St. John that before Abraham was, I am. Then Jesus indeed saw this man long before he met him. This man's problem, not nor our problems, are a surprise to God. Whether he knew it or not, this man had an appointment with Jesus. This text is clearly showing us the godliness of Christ. But also is showing us that we uh, were all just as helpless, dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 says, and needing release from our captor also, just as this man. Though Jesus got out of the boat, here is heaven's help. Here is God's gift of grace. The Lord draws the man to himself. Here is the extravagance of God's mercy and grace that the Lord would draw such to himself. Not only legion, but would draw you and me. person who is trying to distinguish themselves from the reform doctrine said to me that they believe he believes in the whosoever will doctrine and my response is so do I just as long as just as long as they understand Who wills whosoever? A dead man or woman cannot ask for help. Let's move along. What do I have to do with you, Jesus? Or what do you want with me, Jesus? As the NASB says, first the possessed man falls down on his knees before Jesus. This is a sign of submission, isn't it not? And it's often a prayer position even Or prayer posture even to this day. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. It says I bow my knees unto the father. Mark 140 says beseeching him and kneeling down to him. Acts 2036 says he kneeled down and prayed. Here is concrete proof that the demons possessing this person. Recognize both the person and the authority of Christ. By calling Jesus son of the most high, the demons confess the divinity of Christ. And that there is authority is inferior to that of Christ and his father. What are you going to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? It appears that Satan knows some theology. Fearing that they will be cast out of the man, the demons themselves cry for mercy. I implore you, or I adjure you, as the ESV says, by God, do not torment me. I found this to be very interesting. The demons inject the name of God again. How interesting that we have demons imploring Christ as if the demons themselves were praying. They were begging Christ. They're pleading with him. The demons are petitioning the Savior. Oh, the devil is in a fetal position. Helpless before the Savior. Look at the power of Christ's church and the weakness of Satan. What great power Christ has and how little we as Christians know of it. 
how dangerous we would be as a church if we only knew of Christ's power. If we really believe that Satan is already defeated. And of this text, another translation says, swear to me by God that you will not torment me. That's the NIV. If accurate, the demons are requesting Christ, show them the kind of mercy they were not willing to show the one they were tormenting. I adjure you, it's a cry of fear that Jesus won't torment the demons as the demons tormented the man they were possessing. Even though they recognize their inferiority to Christ, the demons now attempt to strike a deal with him. Send us to the pigs if we must leave this man. Satan attempting to strike a deal with Satan. Satan doesn't play by the rules, does he? Doesn't play by the same rules. As Christians, we've been instructed to show mercy as we have been shown mercy. But the demons are requesting another arrangement with God. That is that they want to be shown mercy while they show no mercy. What audacity Satan and the satanic forces have. Here demons implore Christ and ask for something contrary to the word and spirit of God. How this man had the strength to go to Jesus is amazing since the demons wanted to have nothing to do with Christ. This demoniac coming to Jesus is an example of what scripture means when it says, No one can come to me. And this is Jesus speaking, unless the Father who sent me draws him, John 6, 44. <coughs> Excuse me. This is how all of the redeemed make it to God, isn't it? God draws us. The possessed one desperately needed the Lord's help and the Lord came to him. There's no other reason for Jesus to have gone to Gerasa. Because when his business was finished with this tormented man, Jesus got back into his boat and left. It was a purposeful visit. Being a Christian, as we know, is not a result of a chance encounter with the Savior. God planned it. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? You may ask, well, why did Jesus have to ask that? Didn't he know? He asked the man for clarification purposes, not because Jesus was unsure, but because of those around him. Who did this to you? It's so that no one would believe that God did this to this man. The man's possessors are required to name themselves, and they spoke up. A spokesperson for the demonic power said, my name is Legion because we are many. The identification of the demons would then, being many, would explain the man's desperate condition. He was possessed with a horde of demons. You know, a legion, <clears throat> two definitions, a legion was a unit in the Roman army <coughs> that consisted of between 3,000 and 6,000 soldiers. There also was another definition of the term legion that could also be used in reference to a battalion of 2,048 soldiers, which would be closer to the 2,000 pigs who were then infested with demons. In verse number 10, he began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out of the country. 
Again, the spokesperson for the demons is entreating Jesus, pleading with him or interceding. We ask, we know we must leave the man, but can we at least stay in the country? The Lord grants legion their request. And after sending the demons out of the man, he he permits them to enter into a herd of swine. The text says about 2,000 of them. It seems like the demons were determined to possess something. The newly possessed swine run violently down a steep hill and then eventually into the sea and are drowned. And that should make us to remember that Satan is dangerous. But something should be said here about the value of a human soul. Shouldn't something be said here about the value of a human soul? Simple arithmetic in this case says that 2,000 head of swine are not remotely equal to one human soul. (coughs) Excuse me. Not even 10,000 or 50,000. Humanity is made in the very image of God himself and is the crown jewel of creation. Named God's caretaker, God crowned humanity with dominion over created things, gave humanity an awareness of the footprint and handprint of God in this world, placed them in a garden called Eden, ordered light for day and darkness for the night. God commanded rain to fall and plants and flowers to spring up, gave humanity clouds for a cover and the green earth for a mattress, And God then called everything he created good. These were the conditions under which God placed humanity as the highest form of all that was created. This text is not about self-help. It's not about self-rehabilitation, nor is the text about self-renovation. This text is not about human... This text is not about humanity's innate or natural goodness. Excuse me. Thank you. But the text is about our inability, humanity's inability in and of itself (coughs) to come to God. Excuse me. The text speaks about our inability, humanity's inability in and of itself to come to God. It speaks of the glorious goodness of God, not the goodness of humanity. The text is also about the kindness of God, the creator. God has not forgotten the price paid for the human soul. (coughs) The high price of a human soul ultimately cost God, the son, his life on Golgotha, where the one who knew no sin became sin, where the meek died for the self-important. The high cost of redemption required the Prince of Peace to become the center of controversy and the Lord of life to succumb to death. When the mighty council became the center of confusion, God has not discounted the day when the father could not look upon his own son's face. He has not discounted the day when the lunar sun bowed its head and said, today two suns can't shine. God has not discounted the day when sin was paid for, 
when earth's debt was paid with heaven's currency, he has not discounted the day when the names of men and women alike were purged from the rolls of the condemned. I say God is not suffering from a short memory. And they began to beg Jesus to depart. Isn't that coincidental? Isn't that tragic? That the only one who's able to heal man's sin sickness is asked to leave. <coughs> the only one who can cure a man of sin's blemishes is asked to leave. Why encourage Jesus to leave? They blame this incident on the sw- of the swine on Jesus. It's tragic that God takes the blame for the enemy's work, isn't it? Indeed, 2,000 swine are lost, but if the demon spirits had not gone into the swine, where would they have gone? They must indwell something by their nature. Isn't it better for them to go into swine than into your wife? Better to enter swine than your husband? Better to enter swine than your children or your father or your mother? They begged Jesus to leave when they should have begged him to stay. The only one who's able to command demons and thwart the power of the devil. You want him to stay. The one who gives new life, you want him to stay. The one who raises the dead, you want him to stay. The man seeing Jesus about to leave. He asked Jesus, can I go with you? What Jesus had done for the man was so profound, he didn't want to leave the presence of Christ. But Jesus said, no, go home to your people and report to them what great things God has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Now, in chapter one of St. Mark, Jesus healed a man and there was a prohibition against publication. But in this incident in chapter 5, Jesus says, go and tell. There is no prohibition against publication as in chapter 1. Here in this text, the changed or the cleansed man is instructed to go tell. (laughs) The question begs to be asked. Have you or I told anyone what God has done for us? Have we told anyone that it was Jesus who delivered us from dead religion or from an otherwise destructive life? Have we shared our testimony? Have we shared our experience with the Lord (coughs) having delivered us from the bondage of money, lust, or greed? How the Lord has delivered us from the grip of pride and hatred? Yes, we've all been delivered from something and having been set free, isn't it appropriate that we should go tell what great things God has done and how he has had mercy on us. Go home. Tell how much the Lord has done for you. The question is, how can you not tell it? How can we not tell it? Because it's a story worth telling. Excuse me. 
It's a story worth telling. Tell it because you and I, we're a miracle. Tell it because we're new creatures in Christ. Tell it because the old has gone and the new has come. (laughs) Tell it because no one else can tell your story like you can. Tell it because this is how the gospel is, is spread. Tell it because the Lord is worthy of our praise. Tell it because Jesus is heaven's gift. He is sin's conqueror. He is our savior and the world's only hope. Go and tell someone that the Lord has done great things. Whereof we are glad. Would you bow with me and pray, please? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, your word is forever settled in heaven. You alone have the power to set men and women free. We pray, Lord, that We would draw inspiration from this story of the demoniac who spread the good news of salvation and deliverance in Christ throughout Decapolis. We pray, Lord, that because of the goodness of God and what you have done for us and in us, we pray, dear Lord, that we would be inspired to tell those who do not know you of your goodness. And for this, we will give you thanks for we do ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. <clears throat> Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away